Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, December the 12th, 2022, 7 a.m. here in Spotswood, and it looks like a cold but beautiful morning. The sun has not yet come up over the Blue Ridge, but it will any second now. It is so good to be back with y'all this morning. I hope that everybody had a wonderful weekend with lots of good stuff going on, or maybe it was a wonderful weekend because it was a restful weekend and there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. I can tell you that whole restful weekend thing was not what took place at the Malfurst household, but even so, it was a very good weekend. And I hope that yesterday found you somewhere in a Bible-believing church, um, a church that preaches the Word of God, where you could join together with fellow believers to worship the triune God. I mean, it's um, I'm not going to get hung up on that again today like I have in the past, but really take that time to uh, to invest in the kingdom. <clears throat> it will pay dividends. To that end, we're going to talk about that same concept a little bit later this morning. But first off, let's talk about where we have been and then let's talk about where we're going. Last time we were together, we broached chapter 16, right? Gospel according to John chapter 16. If this is your first time joining us, um, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through John. We're picking up where we left off. We made it through verse 4, the last time where Jesus yet again reminds the disciples why it is the world hates the ones that follow him, right? Why the world hates Christianity. Um, and he's just very, he's very blunt about it. He said, they will do such things because they have not known the father or me. Want to know what it comes down to? The world does not know Jesus. And in fact, the kind of things that Jesus does and what Jesus told us to do is so contrary to the world around us that the world will despise it. The world will hate it because it doesn't fit into the pattern of the world. We're, we're called to be in the world and not of the world. And so because we don't belong to the world, the world will cast us out. Right now, we've not really seen so much of that in the United States. You do see glimpses every once in a while. But rest assured that around the world right now, I, several weeks ago, last month, in fact, um, or it would have been, I guess it was in October, actually, time, you know, time flies so much. Um, when I went to the International Conference of Reformed Churches in Namibia, which is the nation just north of South Africa, but when I went there, I was gathered together with brothers from all over the world, and I remember speaking with one of the brothers from India, and one of the things he said is that, you know, the idea of, of India, it, you hear all these numbers out of India about it being the most unchurched nation and that kind of stuff. And Christianity is so small. What he said is that Christianity is far, far larger than anybody knows in India. The problem is they have to keep it secret. Radical Hindus, you know, which is crazy because when you think of Hindus, you're like, yeah, those are the people that worship cows. And, you know, they're supposed to be the peaceful ones. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, the radical Hindus, if they find where a church service is going on, they will raid it and they'll try to kill everybody or beat everybody severely that's in that church service. Right. So India is hiding its numbers because they don't want <laughs> they, they want to advance the gospel. They are advancing the gospel. Christianity is growing tremendously, but they have to be very careful with what they advertise in terms of, of the church actually growing. So we're not used to that kind of persecution. 
Is it coming to the United States? I pray that it will not, but um, y'all, I, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on out there. Um, you know, we live in this world that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. Um, and not to get political, but y'all, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is don't be surprised when real persecution starts. Um, I, and the other thing I'm telling you is sometimes politicians are telling the truth, but usually they're telling the truth when it relates to what they're going to do to people who follow Christ. All right. Um, and all I can say is don't help them do it. But hey, what do I know? Now, we're going to depart from that before I go places that I don't need to go. But indeed, remember the source of persecution. The world doesn't know Jesus. The world is not saved. The world belongs to hell um, in terms of its destination, right? Apart from Christ, you have no other destination. And because the world belongs to hell, it can be saved. But because it currently does, it's going to be at enmity with Christianity. That's just how this works, okay? Now, that's what we made it through the last time we were together. We made it through chapter 16, verse 4. Where we're picking up today is with Jesus continuing to encourage his disciples. He's going to tell them a, a wonderful promise. He's going to reveal to them the status of the world, all these different things. We're going to see it today, but before we dig in, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. Please guide us in it. Help us to see, um, really to, to, to have the mind of Christ. We're tempted, Father, to, to view the world in light of what the world says about itself. We're tempted to prioritize as the world prioritizes and forget the simple teachings of your Son. So please guide us now by your Holy Spirit that we would see, that we would understand. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus is speaking here. Okay, that's, that's who's speaking. And he says, now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. All right, pause right there before we even get into verse 7. What Jesus is doing here, he's, he's alluding to this conversation that he's been having. At this point, it is no surprise to the disciples that Jesus says that he's about to be gone from them. He started this way back, okay? Really, on the road to Caesarea Philippi, um, as Jesus is, is working in his ministry, when Jesus makes that turn at Caesarea Philippi, and he starts talking about how the Son of Man is going to be crucified and all these different things, and I was going to be raised again. That's really the start. A, a lot of a lot of water's gone under the bridge by the time we get to John chapter sixteen. Okay, lots of things have happened. Jesus has been giving them this message over and over again, where he's saying, "Look, guys, um, a time is coming very quickly where I'm going to be taken from you, and, and I'm going to be gone from you." But I'm going to send the advocate, I'm going to send the helper, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So he's once again reiterating that. But he throws in something else here in John chapter 16 that he hasn't done before. Pay attention to what he says. Verse 5, now, I am going to him who sent me. That's not new. He's been talking about how he's going back to the Father. Not new. This is what's new. Yet, none of you ask me. Where are you going? 
You know, that's a curious little tidbit there. All along, Jesus has talked about the sorrow that they're going to experience. He's alluded to all of these things, right? And yet again, he, he does that. Verse 6, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. So that's not new. But when Jesus pauses here for just that brief moment, and he says, I'm going, but none of you have asked me where I'm going, right? Y'all, why does Jesus do this? <clears throat> I think it's because it's a matter of perspective here, right? The disciples are filled with grief that he's going to go. That's understandable. And yet in their grief, in their worry, you know, the, the, this whole business of grief, remember grief, this term encompasses a lot of different things. It, it, it does mean sorrow without a doubt, just like grief, but it, it's also used in the sense of I'm grieved over this, or I'm concerned over this. I'm worried about this. He says, in the midst of your grief, none of you have asked me where I'm going. Why? Well, because y'all consider what the number one thing Jesus talked about was, right? Of all the things that Jesus talked about, what did Jesus talk about the most? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, more than anything else, the central subject that Jesus focused on was, number one, the kingdom of God. All of the parables, think, the, think about Matthew, for instance. Jesus gives all these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is like. What Jesus is simply pointing out to the disciples here is, you're taking the time to be worried about things. You're taking the time to be grieved about things, but you haven't paused, you haven't stopped to ask, all right, Jesus, you say you're leaving. Where are you going? Because here's the thing. When you have a heaven-centered mindset, it changes things. When your mind is set on the kingdom of God, um, when your mind is focused on Christ, you know, it's, it's turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm not sure I got every word right there, but, but it's this idea of when your focus is trained on the kingdom, it changes how you process the things of this world. If the disciples took the time to stop right? Stop with the worry. Stop with the sadness. Stop with the fear about all these things that are going on. Think about the first time that Jesus really and truly said that he was going to be crucified, how the Son of Man must be persecuted and lifted up. What was Peter's first response? Peter's response was, oh no, Lord, may it never be. Quit saying these things. You can't say that you're going to die. You can't. Mm -mm -mm. And remember how Jesus responded? Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Why would he call Peter Satan? He went on to say, because you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of men. You see, from the start, they were not focused on eternity. They were not focused on the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gives this little tidbit, this little reminder here of, where he says, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? A value is revealed here. 
without a doubt it is a value that is revealed for the disciples as they are going through this process that this doesn't apply to us in many ways y'all i mean really it doesn't it, it, we have not been with the lord in terms of physical presence in his ministry he's not about to be crucified before us and ascend into heaven and take it from us so in many ways this is unique to the disciples but where it does apply to us is when jesus says none of you ask me where are you going in essence, what Jesus is saying, hey, you're only thinking about what's about to happen here. You're not thinking about God's plan. You're not thinking about God's kingdom and how he works all these things out. In essence, Jesus is reminding them to keep their mind on the kingdom of God. My friends, should we not do the same? When we think about the troubles of this world, the difficulties that arise, the disappointments that we have, how sometimes people really disappoint us. Sometimes we really disappoint people. I'm not saying that these things don't matter. I'm not saying that these things don't hurt. And we could go down the line. <clears throat> we could talk about medical issues or relationship issues. And my goodness, we're talking about life here that chews you up and spits you out. I'm not saying those things aren't important. But what I am saying is this concept revealed by Jesus here is for you and me today. This concept of keeping your mind not on the temporary, not on the things that are swirling right now, but instead, having a kingdom-based mindset. That's what the disciples were really missing here. He says, none of you are asking where I'm going. If they would have had their mind set on the kingdom of God, oh, goodness, how they would have understood, how they would have processed, what they would have done. If, if Peter had his mind set on the kingdom, would he have betrayed our Lord three times? Right, I did. You know, we're talking about hypotheticals here. It's hard enough to remember what actually happened, <laughs> much less what could have happened. But, y'all, seriously, what Jesus is calling his disciples to do with just this little phrase is to keep their mindset on things above, not on things below. And this ain't new. He's been doing this his whole ministry, hasn't he? Again, number one thing he's been talking about, <laughs> excuse me, is the kingdom of God and being prepared for it. That led him to make all these statements like, hey, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and the thief breaks in and steals and kills. Instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. The idea that Jesus is revealing here is, guys, the kingdom is coming. But they missed it. Oh, what encouragement they missed because of this. Let us take that encouragement today. Now, he gets specific here. He says, because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. And then he makes the promise. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. All right. You know, this is one of those concepts that is very difficult for us to understand. You know, the idea of how can Jesus say it's better for him to not be with them, but the Holy Spirit is Jesus saying that the Holy Spirit is more important than he is. And that, no, guys, that, that's not what he's saying. You've got to look at statements like this in terms of economy. 
And I'm not talking about money. You got to look at statements like Jesus has made here in terms of practical function, right? What Jesus is revealing to them is that he's there with them in a real sense, physically, in time and space, right? He is working his ministry. He is on a mission. But because he's fully human, he's there with them, amongst them, guiding them, but he doesn't dwell within them. Guys, the reason that Jesus says, hey, listen, it's for your good that I'm going, because until I go, the counselor can't come. Y'all, he's talking about the economy of how his relationship with the disciples work and how all of his people's relationship with the Holy Spirit works. Yes, it was profoundly wonderful that the disciples had this time with Jesus, but unless you were there with Jesus, having that relationship with him, there was only so much Jesus to go around. And I'm talking about this in terms of time and space, okay? Think about what the Holy Spirit does. Again, the term counselor is used there. Remember, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we hear the term counselor, we think of going to counseling, right? Now, is it true that the Holy Spirit gives us counsel? Yes. Is it true that the Holy Spirit illuminates the way forward and gives us wisdom? Absolutely. But we don't need to view this term in light of modern-day counseling. We need to view this term in light of legal implications, in light of judicial practice. The term counselor there really is a legal term. I remember I was on a, a, a denominational committee several years ago, and there were two lawyers on it. You know how they greeted each other? They didn't say lawyer, lawyer. No, they said counselor, counselor, right? A lawyer is a counselor, and a lawyer is one who speaks on your behalf. A lawyer is one that goes before you and advocates for you. That's why the Holy Spirit is also called the advocate. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, when I'm gone, I'm sending the counselor, and the counselor won't just be out there among you. The counselor will be within you. You see, the disciples were with Jesus. They followed Jesus. And yet, when you look at the promise of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, it's not just God there. It's God here within you to guide you, uh, to, 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 to give you what you need, to show you the way forward. <laughs> Excuse me, Pat and Susie Patterson are, are going to be doing a home Bible study on the Holy Spirit. I highly, highly recommend it. It's coming this, this coming spring, but Pat yesterday read a poem, maybe you saw it, that, that Susie wrote. Wonderful poem about all the things that the Holy Spirit does, and it's not that you have to go find the Holy Spirit somewhere. When you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You should be working on your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It is possible to quench the Holy Spirit. We do need to maintain that, that work with the Holy Spirit, right? Not saying those things aren't true. But what Jesus is simply saying here to them is, listen, it's good that I'm going. Because after I go, I'm sending one to you that will dwell within you, that will teach you all things and will be your advocate. Y'all, this is the promise that we have in Christ. I'm not mitigating, I'm not lessening the sorrow for the disciples to be with our Lord and then he's gone. But y'all think about the wonderful benefit that we have for knowing Christ. Think about what he's done. 
think about what he can do through us. Uh, later, he would say, you'll do greater things than these through the Holy Spirit. Actually, it was before this that he said that you'll do greater things than these. He wasn't talking about raising several Lazaruses from the dead. No, he's talking about the work of the church, the redemptive plan of God, the father. All of this is ours in Jesus Christ. So take heart. Our situation is not that the Lord's about to be taken from us at this time of the year. We're talking about when the Lord was sent, right? Instead, we do deal with life. But keep your mind on the things of heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for this time that you have given to us, for the technology, even in the fact that it worked. And I pray that it would continue to. But Father, I pray that you would help us continue in this time and, and work in our minds, work in our hearts, that we would be focused on things from above, that we would have a heaven-based mindset, not forgetting that you are working, not forgetting that this life is not all there is, but instead eternity awaits. So please help us with these things. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. If there are any listening to this that do not have your Holy Spirit, that don't know you, please draw them to yourself. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Christine. Good morning. And there's Elizabeth and Becky and the other Becky. And yes, indeed, it is a frosty morning outside. And there is Alice. And there's Terry, my good friend. Y'all remember to pray for Terry and her husband, Larry. Some of you call him Dale. Um, a man of many names, but remember to pray for Terry and Dale as Dale has gone through a very difficult time in the hospital. And Terry is, uh, has been so faithful to run ragged, but we are praying for you, Terry. And if Larry sees this, we're praying for you too, my friend. Anyway, thank you all so much for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Until then, I hope you all have a wonderful Monday.